Alrighty, well, hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Language Happy Hour. Um, today we are joined by Kirsten Rosetto Nassar, who is the Director of Community Relations for Lutheran Social Services National Capital Area, and also Autumn Orm, the Director of Communications and Marketing. And so we're here to talk about, uh, this is Garrett, and we're here basically to talk about uh, what Lutheran uh, Services does here in the DC uh, metro area and learn more about the organization and what they do and how uh, they basically help people uh, when it comes down to refugee resettlement and things of that nature. So, Kirsten, Autumn, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. First off, I guess just for both of you, just a little bit about uh, Lutheran Services and what you all do. Great. We really appreciate that. I can start with the broad overview of our organization. Um, Lutheran Social Services of the National Capital Area um, serves predominantly Maryland and Virginia and the D.C. area. We have two major services, including refugee and immigration services, and then children's services as well. Underneath our children's services program is our foster care and adoption programs. And then a subset of our foster care program is a really unique program called the Unaccompanied Refugee Minors Program, which is a crossover between our refugee program and our children's services program. Um, not a lot of, of organizations across the country have this program because you have to have expertise in both refugee resettlement as well as foster care. So what happens in this program, I just want to talk a little bit about it because it's yeah. not well known, um, and then go into the refugee stuff more, is that this program, um, there are children across the world stuck in refugee camps. Somehow they made it to a refugee camp. They made it through the wars and through the persecution. They uh, lost their parents or their grandparents or their caretaker along the way and they're all by themselves. They enter the unaccompanied refugee minor program up to the age of 18 and they can be assigned to the United States of America where they're placed within a foster care family here with us. Um, on our refugee and immigration side, we do immigration services as well as refugee services. Our refugee services for a broad overview include everything from picking refugees up at the airport to helping them through their cultural orientation of getting adapted to their community and their new surroundings to helping them find employment and eventually our ultimate goal with any refugee resettlement is helping the family find self-sufficiency through their own unique path. Oh, that's great to hear and then um, I guess overall when uh, when was this uh, organization started and just kind of a kind of an overview of that as well to just kind of give some history and some background too. Okay, yeah, great. that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very exciting here for us. Yeah, it's 2017, and our organization started in 1917. So it's actually wow. our centennial anniversary this year. So thank you for asking about that. <laughs> um, we have a lot of unique happenings this year and a lot of new things. So we urge anyone listening to go to our website, LSSNCA, and check out our calendar and, and get involved with them, us in some way or fashion. Um, 
But throughout our history, we started Lutheran Social Services with a few select groups of Lutheran congregations realized way back when that they could do a lot more if they pooled their resources together instead of trying to do it individually. And that's really how our name came about and how our organization started. From the very beginning, it's never been our mission to proselytize or to create new Lutherans or new Christians, but to live out the Christian faith and reaching out to everybody who's in need to serve them, no matter their race, their color, their religion, ethnicity. Um, we want to be there for the people who need the help the most. Since the very beginning, our programs and our organization has changed throughout that 100-year history from helping people who just need food and starting food closets to domestic violence programs through our foster care and our refugee program. At any given time in our history, our leadership has really looked at what is needed in our community, what population was not being served by another organization, and that's the mission at any given time that we decided to take on. And right now that happens to be children's services and, and refugee support. So how did you guys, how did both of you get started here? What was your trajectory? It was actually uh, really serendipitous for me. I was applying for a lot of jobs. I was finishing a volunteer year of service here in the city and knew I wanted to stay here. I have always wanted to be in DC. I'm from Pennsylvania, so this is where all of our field trips were. So from a very young age, I always knew uh, wanted to come back here it was exciting and also with my education background I wanted to be involved in communities especially serving communities that are in need and creating those conversations and spaces for uh, community support so really I, I found this position and was just okay I'm gonna apply my computer shut down twice during the application actually so I almost gave up this isn't worth it. But then I I did and I got the first interview and then uh, they brought me on here and next week I'll actually be celebrating two years. So that's really wow, exciting. Yeah, it, it's, it's a blink of an eye and everything is five years later. But that's how I got here and I've been here ever since working with uh, our whole agency and now I have moved into specifically working with our Refugee and Immigrant Services Program and helping with community relations in all of our congregations and volunteers. Um, I grew up in Utah and I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be able to help people. So I thought that my trajectory was to go into politics and make significant change. So I came to graduate school out here knowing that I wanted to get into politics. Um, graduated from graduate school, worked on Capitol Hill, and realized I hated it. <laughs> um, for me, politics was not where I found myself helping people, so I made kind of a career change. Um, and I had a lot of communications background from working in politics in their communication offices and switched over to the nonprofit side. And um, I've been here for about five years now. So. All right, wow. Yeah, I understand the hillside. I used to do advocacy <laughs> on the hill, and I know exactly what you're going. <laughs> yep, been there, done that. Um, okay, so both of you have mentioned that uh, Lutheran Social Services is very active in refugee resettlement. 
And so I just want to know how did how did the refugees integrate into U.S. culture? Like I looked at I looked at the website, and there's a map, a great map of all of the countries that the refugees come from, and it seems like Iraq and Afghanistan are the two biggest. Um, so like, what are the steps that they go through? Sure. So there's a couple of different ways, and to keep it simple, I'll talk about it in terms of two pathways to come to the United States. And as a refugee, uh, people are coming through either camps or specifically with Iraq and Afghanistan, they're coming from their home country, depending on these two pathways. Uh, once they are approved by the UNHCR, they go through adjudication, they are matched with a resettlement agency here in the United States, and then they're, they're going through different cultural orientations, uh, house screenings, uh, background checks, uh, all prior to that, and then they arrive here in the United States. Depending on where uh, they are being resettled, that resettlement agency, once they are assigned that agency, a refugee will, again, be assigned. Then once they are assigned to that agency, that agency is then responsible for all the core areas of supports once they have arrived. That includes setting up their housing, getting them all the support. If they have uh, someone that they are reuniting with, a family tie, we call them, uh, we talk to them, we get them set up in terms of case management, making sure that the government funding that they are, are allotted gets to them, job employment, uh, and mentorship as well. So all of that is required of the resettlement agency upon arrival. That happens for all of our clients. We have our refugee path and what is specifically uh, for Afghanistan and Iraq, depending on their status, is what we work with SIVs. So they're special immigrant visa holders and they're men and women who have served with our US government agencies uh, throughout the last decade. Uh, they are now in some kind of danger, have been threatened at some point, uh, and our U.S. government has given a path to them to say, we've, we've definitely appreciated your support and now we want to take care of you as well. So those, that population isn't necessarily coming uh, from a second country of waiting, they're coming from their home country uh, and, and being resettled. There are a few sites uh, probably about half a dozen here in the United States that take SIVs. DC, the DC area just happens to be one of them. So we are seeing a lot of SIVs. The very uh, important part of right now, especially with the travel ban and everything that's going on, SIVs have not been affected by that ban. Therefore, our agency has actually been doing just fine uh, throughout all of the last couple of, of months politically. Uh, there are a few different areas, I'm not sure exactly which ones, but uh, it's, so we, we work with SIVs and refugees who are coming into our, into our area. Uh, we give them all of the reception placement and job development training um, that they are in need of, uh, and we do that with our case managers and job developers who are on staff, and also we would not be able to function without all of our wonderful volunteers, whether that be congregations or individual volunteers helping to mentor our families. So. Okay, that's one thing I wanted to ask uh -huh. about, mentoring families. So volunteers are very active in that. Mm -hmm. um, what are there, are there steps that they have to go through 
to be certified to mentor the family? Like, what what are they? Do they go and like sort through the mail with them, or go to the grocery store? Like, what what's a daily basis? What's a a daily activity? Is that the right word? Yeah. What's the daily? What's the what's it like to be a volunteer? That's really what I'm getting at. So our volunteers are matched based on interest and time commitment and availability. So what I would do is have a conversation with them uh, via phone. We'd set up a phone interview. During that interview, I ask people what got them interested in our programs, how they are wanting to get involved, how much time they are wanting to commit to the program. Uh, and during that process, we I identify a good way in which they can volunteer. So if they're wanting to volunteer really during the day, I will help them get connected to our offices and maybe be office support or if they have a vehicle uh, I would get them involved in possibly driving our clients around to different appointments and helping our case managers uh, during that process and during the day. That is more of a one-off volunteer and I, I can do a, a bit more of a personalized volunteer experience depending on our needs of our offices and, and what the commitment and availability of the volunteer is. Most volunteers right now, we live in a city where everyone is always doing something and very busy. So we do have a lot of our volunteers who are active during the day, doing something, uh, either working or with their children or whatnot that say, you know, my family is really wanting to get involved or I have a lot more time on the weekends or evenings, do you have anything? That's when I normally talk about our family mentor program. And our family mentor program is a connecting individuals here in the DC metro area and families, I did mention that, uh, to locally resettled refugee families through LSSNCA. All of these families have already arrived and have been identified through a program that we call Matching Grant that helps with employment and also with that mentorship portion. The mentorship is a six month commitment and it normally takes place it, you normally are meeting with the family over the weekends because they too are also getting jobs, their kids are starting to go to school, uh, they're starting their lives here and getting uh, acclimated here and, and really on that path to self-sufficiency. So that mentorship is really there to give more support for that family, helping them, depend. every family comes with different goals whether it be they are from Afghanistan and the father speaks very good English, but the mother might not and has two children under the age of six. So she's not necessarily going to be leaving the house to go to English, uh, English classes anytime soon. So having that person be able to not only help with employment for the employable adults, but also creating that relationship with the family. Ultimately, this is one of the first relationships that they're probably going to have and that will be sustained over six month time other than their case managers and a possible neighbor or two or a family tie that they will have that will be able to help them transition to life here in the United States. So it's very important to us that we have committed volunteers who are able to uh, go to either their homes or meet them in different places. Again, we have two pathways for how people get to our agencies, but people come with so many different stories. 
so many different situations and they come here and are trying to navigate what that story and how their lives have been to what they're going to be in the coming years here in the United States. So for our volunteers, we really do look for language support. We do have volunteers who do speak Arabic, uh, Pashto, Farsi, Dari. It's not required. Uh, we do, if you, if you do suggest that you want a family who might speak that language, we try to uh, match you with a family that has that language that you can support them with. But ultimately, uh, we do find that mentors, regardless of any language of ability that they have or they come with, uh, a lot of people start with sign language. A lot of people start with languages such as laughter and crying and uh, joyous movement. You know, it, it really does start with um, the core of being human beings and creating relationships. So our family mentor program is definitely a program that we uh, are still in need of volunteers for and really do uh, value that, that relationship building that they're able to give outside of our staff. And I, I just want to add, too, to, for anyone listening and managing their expectations, it's a process to become that kind of volunteer because it is so involved. It's a lot of people think, I'm going to call LSS, and the <laughs> next day I'll be helping somebody. But really it's, right. you know, you fill out a form, you have an interview with Kirsten. We do do background checks on all of our volunteers who are going to be interacting with our clients. Um, and then it might take a while to get you matched, matched with someone who uh, might speak your language, matched with someone who's in your area so it's convenient. Maybe someone who has the same educational background or the same um, professional background so you can relate on some level. So mm -hmm. it is a process because it is such a um, important volunteer role for us here. Right. And just to build on what Autumn said, we do have that phone interview. We then, once you pass that background check, we invite you to a training. That training, we have a relationship right now with another organization that helps with training materials. We invite everyone to a training. It happens monthly. It happens uh, within the district. It's metro accessible. During that training, we go over do's and don'ts, our refugee resettlement program, identifying key areas in which uh, volunteers can really help the family get acclimated to society here. It's a two-hour training, so it's not necessarily something you have to take the day off for. It's not during the weekend. It's normally a weekend evening, uh, just to make sure that everyone is able to be involved. We then have two community resource coordinators, one for our Hyattsville office and one for our Falls Church office. And depending on the site of your preference, we then, uh, those two staff members connect you with families within those areas. So just uh, as Autumn said, sometimes the matching process, we normally say about two to three weeks or up to a month, depending on your preferences of matching you with the family. Our staff takes matching very seriously because we want it to be a great experience for you and also for right. the family. Therefore, we do look at preferences, we look at languages, uh, different employment uh, specifications and what their goals of the family are. So our staff members really take a lot of time out of their day to make sure you have a good match and are supported throughout the, the six months. That's impressive. Yeah, that's great to hear too, especially doing <laughs> the due diligence on the volunteers yeah. and the need for, especially the Dari, Pashto, uh, Arabic, Iraqi Arabic, uh, with a lot of our, a lot of the personnel that we work with and then also even looking at the <laughs> 
DC metro area universities like Georgetown, University of Maryland, mm-hmm. um, language centers, uh, Washington Language Center, International Center for Language Studies are two of the ones I can think of off the top of my head where we could probably get uh, one of those uh, skill sets when it comes down to say Dari or Arabic, uh, whether it be teachers or linguists, those kind of things to be able to then give back to the community and work mm-hmm. with you all uh, for something like this, whether it be a full mentorship family program or even just being able to help out um, when it comes down to things like explaining in Dari what the what the electric bill is or what these things, uh, what yeah. some of these simple things are. That would be actually really helpful. A lot of our resources financially go to telecommunication interpretation um, because we do hire staff with a lot of different language abilities, but usually, you know, there's... Um, people are needed at the same time and they can't be there or maybe they don't speak a certain dialect of something. Um, And so we do depend on the telecommunication services, which are very, very expensive. Um, And not only that, like if we had the volunteers at the ready where we might be able to call someone and help them and have them explain something to a certain refugee, Um, it would make so much difference because it's a more personal contact than just translating through a telephone. Yeah, and just to mention as well, I said our cultural orientations for our refugees, they get a cultural orientation, a very brief cultural orientation before they arrive, before they travel, and then we are also required within a certain amount of time upon arrival to give them another cultural orientation. That's when uh, staff and also some volunteers uh, do Normally, we do it by language, so we invite all Pashtu speakers at one time, all Dari speakers, depending on our arrivals and what's the need at that point. Our staff members are able to then talk about what a bank account looks like, what our phone numbers look like, how to take public transit, what do the metro systems look like, uh, and all down to the nitty-gritty. It is a couple of hours long, so the families come together. Uh, so the mother and the father are normally there, but they're not leaving their kids at home. So they bring their kids that are running through our our, <laughs> our halls of our office, which is wonderful. But then sometimes the mother steps out. Uh, so we are trying to figure out the best way to get volunteers involved with that. Cultural orientations do happen during the day. So there there are not a lot of opportunities for evening hours. A lot of our time is truly needed during the day helping and supporting our staff either with driving, cultural orientations, or office support at any given time. Um, And our family mentor program, which is connecting with the family on their schedules. Okay, no, that's great to hear even from the ability to teach them some of the cultural nuances and being able to have volunteers do that. And then when it comes down to English language ability, even some of the websites we know when it comes down to language learning for, say, a Pashtu or Dari speaker, there's also English language um, help, self-help websites uh, that we can point in the right direction to. So I think there's a lot of possible cooperation for what we can uh, what we, we can do to help to your organization. <laughs> I think we covered, like, a lot of information. Yeah, I, know. Sure. I, I think so, too. I hope people I, don't get bored from all of the nuances we went into. I think that... <laughs> Refugee resettlement right now is in the news a lot. And I think that what I've seen personally via email, hundreds of phone calls, 
and and different interactions with people when going out to speak is that it's so complicated and it's a world in which a lot of people are stepping up and saying how can I help right away and asking me questions about what resettlement is and and different agencies that do it uh, LSS NCA, we are our own entity, so we're not working necessarily in California, uh, but our opposite, our counterparts IRC are a whole agency which with different uh, offices. So I would just encourage people to continue to educate themselves, to continue to ask those hard questions and, and really get their community involved in making sure that um, they're understanding what refugees are coming with and, and the agencies and the support that they give and how they can get involved uh, and be the best support in their communities as possible. We honestly couldn't do our work without all of our volunteers, uh, but it is, it does take a process. It does take a long time to get our volunteers and our communities uh, educated and, and really aware of what's going on and the services that we can provide and that they can provide and how we can really work together. I think we've all seen a lot on the news lately, people getting upset and angry and, and talking before they might have thought everything through. Um, being in community with one another is, is difficult and it's challenging and bringing our refugee families and our families from our other programs as well together into a lot of different conversations and being able to support them is not easy. We definitely sometimes work more than 40 hours. It's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle um, of communicating with one another. So can, I just wanna encourage people to continue to do that, to continue to educate themselves and talk with their communities about how to get involved and what the process really is like. That is how we're going to sustain uh, serving our neighbors uh, with one another, truly. And, and just to end too, as Kirsten was saying, on the news, what we're hearing or seeing from different people or different entities might be really disheartening at times, but through all of this over, you know, really the past year or so, we've really seen an outpouring of support. And we're so grateful for that and so very humbled. You know, if there was a silver lining, that would be it. <laughs> that, that all these people are coming out of nowhere because they want to make a difference and they know that people are the change makers. Um, and, and that's just so overwhelming and we're just so grateful for that. And I would want to just tell people that don't get discouraged by the things that you see floating out there because there's a lot of people who are very compassionate and want to have an outpouring of welcome and love instead of hate and fear. So I would just say, keep pushing forward. <laughs> right. I think we are very fortunate to live in an area that is very welcoming, very opening to the other or to people who are different than them. Uh, we have a very diverse community, diverse communities, and I have definitely seen so much more support than I have any type of fear or hate and people are really stepping up. Uh, it is our job to then organize and, and get them all in, involved in the ways in which we are truly needing it. So we are very fortunate and very thankful. All right, I think that's, that's great to hear. And, uh, 
think that's a perfect place to end. We do this a lot. We, we cut each other Everyone off. Everyone wants to get the last Right? <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here and for talking to us. Um, we want to encourage everybody listening to visit LSSNCA online at lssnca.org. Um, all right, Derek, take it away. Your favorite part. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody listening, and please check out our website at criticallanguagementor.net, and then from there we'll put up uh, links for everything about LSSNCA, about what they do, and some more information about how you can get out there and help, whether it be volunteering, careers, or mentoring families. So we'll make sure to put that up there, and we'll keep everybody updated. And again, thank you for listening.